everyone, and welcome to the Cultivate Podcast through the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we really are glad that you have joined us today. And right now, we are in the middle of a series where um, we that's called Panorama of the Bible, where we're kind of walking our way through the Bible and kind of telling its story chronologically. We have lightly borrowed some of this material from Fellowship Bible Church here in Northwest Arkansas. Robert Cup put this together several years ago and probably almost, oh, a little over 25 years ago was the first time I was exposed to it. And I feel like it is a great, uh, just some great material to kind of help us put the Bible in its context historically, because especially the Old Testament, you find it, it's not necessarily in chronological order. And sometimes you'll even find yourself where it seems like it's the same material twice. And so you're like, where, where does it go? And then you get to the prophets and you're not sure where they go, what it's connected with. And sometimes it can just feel overwhelming. Like, and you're not really, not really clear about what the big picture story of the Bible is. So this is broken down into 12 sections, and this is part four. And if you haven't joined us for the first three, I encourage you to go back. And just kind of catch ultimately all 12 of these to kind of help you put together, again, just kind of the historical big picture story that the Bible is telling. And so again, this is part four. And in the first part, we looked at Genesis 1 through 11, which is kind of referred to as the prologue, where you're looking at creation, uh, Noah, Tower of Babel, Cain and Abel, those stories, which really just kind of set the table kind of for the big picture story at large. It kind of introduces you to who God is, kind of introduces you to just idea of people, and really kind of what the major conflict of the entire story is, which is how is God going to redeem and restore a people that seem to be rebellious against him? So God's God has created the world. Everything is good. There is rebellion. There's separation. How is God going to redeem that? And then in part two, we get at least the first answer to that, which is through the patriarchs, where God uh, calls out Abram, who later becomes Abraham, and says he is going to make Abraham his, you know, his, his, his descendants, his people. He's going to make, turn him into a great nation where God is essentially kind of taking the tribalism of his time and creating his own tribe. He doesn't pick a favorite tribe. He creates his own tribe to show the world what it would look like and what it looks like for if, when, when God blesses a people and their purpose was to, not just simply receive this blessing from God, but through that blessing, bless the entire world. So you have Abraham and then his son Isaac, Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau, uh, you have Jacob's 12 sons, which become kind of the foundation for the 12 tribes of Israel, which includes the story of Joseph. And those two uh, essentially get us through the book of Genesis. And then at the beginning of Exodus in part three, we talked about redemption and wandering, which is where... They settle in Egypt, which was not a good idea because there is kind of this underlying theme through much of the Old Testament about whether or not God's people will look to God for rescue or will they look to Egypt. And so we see this ultimate situation with Joseph where they come to Egypt and allow themselves to settle there, find life there rather than in the promised land that God's given them. And then after a period of time, they become too big of a threat and Egypt enslaves them. And after 400 years, God uh, finally responds to their cry, their call for help, raises up Moses, and um, as we have the story of the Exodus, the 10 plagues, them uh, escaping from Egypt, they get to Mount Sinai where they get the law, the 10 commandments, 
They get all the way to the promised land. They have they send the 12 spies. Uh, only two spies come back with a good report. So they decide not to go. Then God judges them. They decide they're going to go anyway. God judges them again. And they wander around in the desert for 40 years until all the adults that were alive that didn't believe God, um, so they pass away. And, and then they come back on the edge of the promised land. And Moses is allowed to see it before he dies, but he's not allowed to go in because of a sin that he committed um, in, front of, in front of the people that God found very offensive. And so ultimately, he was, he was not allowed to enter the promised land either. Which that gets us all the way, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, through the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch, different names for that. And that's the first three sections of this. And so now we're going to move on to section four, which ends us in the book of Joshua. And so this section four, its title is called Conquest. So they are on the verge of the promised land. They have already um, rejected and been afraid once. They sent out the, again, they sent out the 12 spies to spy out the land. And, and really the idea of that was not that they were supposed to figure out if they could take it, but just to learn about the land. Ten, the 12 spies come back. 10 people are incredibly intimidated. And two people say, yeah, I mean, sure, the, the land is well defended and they've got, you know, scary people there or whatever. But if God is with us, what difference does it make? And they reject. They wander around in the wilderness. We find ourselves back here 40 years later. Moses has passed away, and the leadership of this group of people, as they are looking to take the promised land, has passed from Moses to Moses' right-hand man. It's kind of his, his assistant kind of all throughout this. A guy you see, we, we see from time to time, his name is Joshua. Joshua is, in fact, one of the two spies that came back with the good report, and he is also someone that you see assisting Moses at different times, including diff, during during battles, just kind of being an emotional and sometimes physical support to Moses. And so the leadership of the nation passes to Joshua. And at the very beginning of this story, as they are on the edge of the promised land, Joshua is kind of giving him you know, his version of the Braveheart speech a little bit, where he's trying to rally the people to him as a leader. And of course, they are a little bit suspect of him. I mean, they're, I mean they've only been led by Moses. They've seen Moses do these incredible things, and now they're being asked to follow Joshua. And you see all throughout these first couple of chapters in this, in this interaction that Joshua is having, this theme that just kind of keeps coming over and over again, this phrase, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. We'll follow you if you'll be strong and courageous, which really kind of sets the theme, not only for the book, but really kind of for this moment in Joshua's life. And it's obviously a very fearful moment for him about whether or not he is going to be able to live up to the standard that Moses set, whether or not he is going to have the courage to lead, lead God's people at all. And does he have the courage to trust God and, and, and go and conquer the land? I mean, when it really wasn't his responsibility, he was just kind of the number two, number three or whatever in charge. And he was one of the spas. He had a great amount of confidence in what God would do, but now it's on him. Will he have that same level of confidence? So that kind of sets kind of the intro for the story. So again, they find themselves back um, um, on, the, on the edge of the promised land, and they send spies out again. 
But, and you, the, the, the parallels here are pretty cool. Rather than sending out 12 spies, um, Joshua only sends out two spies. And, you know, they only two came back with a good report. We're going to send two this time. And they were, you know, very carefully selected, these two spies and people that he trusted and they knew. And again, they weren't supposed to be figuring out whether or not we could take the land, but just getting the, the lay of the land. And from the different stories in Joshua, the, the, this one right here is probably the one that most people would be familiar with. And it's an extended story, and it really is kind of this first battle, this first conquest that happens inside the promised land, and it happens in, in Jericho. And I don't know how old some of you are, but there used to be a, there, there was an old kind of spiritual song that would, that would be sung about Joshua and the battle of Jericho. I, I will not be singing in any of it because it would, it would just sound ridiculous, but you may be familiar with the story of, of Joshua and the battle of Jericho, or maybe you're not familiar with the old spiritual song, but maybe you are uh veggie tales, maybe, you know, the, the veggie tales where Joshua, Josh and the big wall. Uh, from Veggie Tales, so you've got this story. Well, the first part of the story, before we get to kind of Josh and the big wall, and the and it comes there, we have Rahab the the prostitute. So the two spies are there, and it turns out that the people in Jericho know that these spies are there, and they think that they have captured, they think they have tracked them down, that they are with Rahab the prostitute, and so they need to hide. And Rahab does something astounding, which really I think. What she says here is going to help us answer a big picture, difficult question maybe that we have about the book of Joshua. Um, So she's talking to them and she says this, listen, the entire city, the entire city is scared to death of you. They have heard about what has happened, uh, what happened to the Egyptians when they got kind of swept up in the Red Sea, they've heard what God has done and how he's been with you this entire time. And we are scared to death that you are here and that you now the same thing is going to happen to us. And so then what she says next is very different than what anybody else is going to say all throughout um, the book of Joshua. Basically, what she says is, we recognize that God is with you in a special way, that capital G God is on your side, not some tribal God, not some little God, but the real capital G God is with you. And so she says, hey, when you guys come and take over our city, I would just ask that you would spare me and my family, which I think is, again, just the ideal version of what we were supposed to, what was supposed to happen in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham was told, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you, but through you, all nations are going to be blessed. There was supposed to be this idea that when you see what God's people look like, you're going to recognize who God is and you are going to then want to be blessed by this God as well. And so at least for, uh, for, for everyone in uh, Jericho, at least half of that has happened. They are all recognizing that, um, that God is with the Israelites, that the real God is with them. And so they are recognizing the blessing. But at this point, what we have is only Rahab is taking that next step to say, if God is with you, I want to be on your team. I want to be on God's team. So the two spies say to her, absolutely. You put out this special ribbon out your window, and then we get this beautiful picture. And anyone that you can get to be inside, you we will not attack 
this 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 house at all. So no one who is in here will be harmed. And so now she has the ability to go and tell everyone about who God is and what he's going to do and what's going to happen. And anyone who will listen, anyone who will will trust in who God is, will ultimately be saved from the destruction that will come. And so she does that, and she she sets this out. And now we get to the Josh and the big wall. Uh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho section of this story, where the angel of the Lord comes to Joshua beforehand and and gives from God directly the plan that um, of what they're supposed to do to, to conquer Jericho. And so he tells them, I said, what I want you to do is once you get everybody out there, get the Ark of the Covenant, the people and the priests, and I want you to, on the first day, march around the city once, and then come out the second second day, do it again. Third day, same thing. Fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, you just keep doing this once a day. But on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. And now on the, on the seventh time, um, blow the trumpets, and then the walls are going to fall down, and I will give the, the city to you. Now, it's obviously a very strange battle plan. I mean, there's no way for them to get get over this wall. They need something to happen. You know, most you know, us traditional military strategy would be to put a siege to the city where no food or anything can, can go in and nobody can get out, and you just kind of wait and see if you can starve them out. This is obviously very different than that, but this is a supernatural event. And again, if your if your understanding about this is comes primarily through the VeggieTales movie, um, you may you already have the song from the uh, the little peas stuck in your head. Another song that I will not sing, but you know the idea is that keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. And they're mocking the Israelites for walking around the city. That it's just a really stupid thing to do to walk around the city and think that somehow the walls are going to fall. And I get that. It's cute. Uh, the, 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 the peas and veggie tails are awesome. And dumping slushies on the Israelites' head. Everything about that is amazing. However, we are missing a significant piece of context if we are allowing ourselves to think that that's what's happening. Rahab has already told us that the entire city is scared to death of the Israelites and scared to death of the God that is with them. So imagine, if you will, you are scared of the Israelites and you're not sure what's going to happen. And you think your destruction is imminent. And all of a sudden, one day, the entire group of them silently march around your city. I mean, that would be, that would be, I would say it would be mildly intimidating, incredibly intimidating, actually. And then they just leave. And then they do it again. And then they do it again. And then they do it again. Uh, I mean, you're not, you're not taunting and throwing slushies. I mean, you are, you're, you're pretty scared. And then on the seventh day, then the wall falls, they come in. They conquer the city. Anybody who was in Rahab's tower in her house, they, they are saved, and they begin the conquest of the promised land. And I think that this is very significant because one of the most important questions that I think that people ask about the book of Joshua is one is just how incredibly violent it is and how ungracious and out of character it seems with a God that we know that is full of love and grace and compassion, that he would... That, that, that war would ever be a part of a strategy. But you have to understand that God's plan A for the people of Jericho, God's plan A was absolutely his grace. And so not only did they have all of the time from the time, let's say, of the Red Sea, and that story gets out, all of the time from that to when they end up there the first time. They have years to hear the story, to understand who God is, 
and to choose to follow him rather than themselves or whatever tribal god um, idols that they were worshiping, they get another 40 years of the wandering around in the wilderness. And so they have all of the information that they need to choose to follow God. And then even still, even still, they give them an extra week. And really, I would say it's kind of Rahab's week, right? It's, it's Rahab's opportunity to make sure that they have the right response to understand that God and his people are coming, but we can join them. We can worship and follow their God. We can be a part. We do not have to be destroyed by this. We can be reconciled. We can be restored. We can be brought into God's family. And how many people chose to do that with Rahab? We're uncertain, but it is obvious that most of the people did not. And so I don't want us, I don't want anybody to get so lost in the and the violence and the judgment that seems to be happening amongst all of these people who are in rebellion against God, that we don't, we don't get lost in that, the overwhelming amount of grace that is given. Again, 40 plus years was given for all of the people in all of these places where we will see this conquest. 40 plus years are given to them for them to recognize what has happened. And we get this very story of all the stories. We get this one story at the very beginning to make sure we understand that some people got the message and we see God saving and redeeming and restoring in the way that Genesis 12 and the initial call to Abraham and the way that that happens. And so we don't necessarily continue to see that story. We don't continue to see it repeated. We see it at least one other time where people are, people are saved. But we have no reason to believe that this, is, this isn't something that happens over and over again, that there aren't many people that, that, that are doing this. But at a minimum, we understand that God is offering salvation and freedom and life and to be a part of God's family to everyone, giving them more than enough time. And if again, if you've been listening to us throughout this particular series, we talked about this with Noah. From the time of the, the, the judgment that came from God and the plan to Noah, 120 years went down from the time of judgment to when the rain actually started. And even in the most violent, most destructive stories that we see in the Old Testament, the, the, the grace of God, the patience of God, the desire to save, to redeem, to restore is all throughout these stories. And so ultimately, I think that if we come to the Old Testament with this idea that, you know, people just say, right, the God of the Old Testament is mean and Jesus in the New Testament is nice. If you come to that with that idea, you can certainly find it in the stories of the flood. You can find it in the stories of the conquest and these, and these battles. You can find it there. But if you believe that God is, in fact, cover to cover, a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of patience, and a God that is desperate to redeem and restore the world to him, to, to, to invite everyone into this covenant type of relationship, if you believe that about God, you will see that everywhere, even in the quote-unquote worst stories. Now, from here, again, they're just basically where the story goes from here with Joshua is you're going to see a lot of different them go from town to town, area to area, ultimately to um, take over the entire land. They they have they have divided divided it up amongst different people, 
and uh, different, different of the different 12 tribes, and they're going and conquering from place to place. And one of the interesting, there's, there's, there's one particular interesting theme that I have to make sure that we, that we understand, that we catch, is that every city is different. You know, sometimes he says, don't take any, um, don't, don't take any of the possessions. Sometimes he says, do take some of the possessions. Sometimes he says, you know, you have this really non-traditional supernatural thing with the walls fall down. Sometimes you have a very traditional military strategy that goes with it. God changes up the method every time. He changes up the strategy. He changes up what they do. Ultimately, with this being, I don't want you to think that you're doing this, and I want every conquest to be another opportunity for you to demonstrate your trust and your faith in me. And and so again, you'll you'll see different you'll see different stories. Again, this is just an overview. There's the there's the there's the the story of Achan where there's not supposed to take any any of the treasures, but he does. And so ultimately a judgment happens to the whole people. Really interesting story. You get the story of Caleb, which is the other of the two spies, the one that with Joshua came back with a good report and the only adult that was allowed to live after the 40 years. And he's this old dude now. And basically he he is asked, he's like, like there's this one really cool special spot in the promised land that it's elevated, there's a lot of water, it's really beautiful, it's a great place. And he says, that's where I, that's that's the land that I want. And everybody's kind of like, man, it's kind of the best land. And so the scariest, strongest people are up there. And he's like, man, it doesn't matter. I got God on my team and it doesn't matter that I'm 85, 90 years old. I got as much life and faith with me now as I did when I was a kid. And so let's just go do this. And so you just have this incredible story of this guy who beginning to end his life just demonstrates a tremendous amount of faith and trust in God. And so uh, you got you, you got some some pretty scary stories in there. You get some some glimmers of some really cool stories of faith. You see the grace and the patience of God if you want to, if you really are looking for it. And then ultimately what's going to happen is, is they ultimately get to the point to where they're content and they don't really take it, take all of the land that they're supposed to. They don't really drive out all of the people that they were supposed to. And God says, hey, you're supposed to do this. I need you to do this because these people who worship false idols, who worship false gods, who do all these things, if you allow them to be here and kind of continue to do the thing that they're doing, they will corrupt you and they will be a pain, a thorn in your flesh for, for, year, for generations to come. But ultimately, they choose to be content and not finish the job and, uh, you know, cliffhanger, plot twist, I don't know how to say it. We'll see what happens next. That, that again, that they are, don't quite finish the job, which will then ultimately lead kind of to this next section, um, which we will talk about next week. And so I would encourage you to come back and listen to that. Again, I encourage you to be a part of all 12 of these and to continue to learn kind of about this big picture story of the Bible. So we find ourselves now through part four. It's got us all the way from Genesis um, to Joshua. And so we'll pick up with part five next time and, and into the book of Judges. And again, uh, really glad that you've joined us. And if you are in Northwest Arkansas, we would love to meet you some Sunday. You can find out everything you need to know, thegrovechurch.org slash connect. You can find out about our services. We would love to meet you. And if you're not, again, we are streaming our second service. We're streaming it live every week. So we would love to connect with you there. So whether it be live 
uh, in person or online. We would love to connect and help you in any way that we can. And again, thanks for joining us and have a great, have a great day.